the name's Lawrence. Luke. And no, this is not the beginning of Frankly Drinking. No, it's not. This is a special announcement to tell you that we were planning... Yes. ...an episode and recorded an episode all about James Bond, but then the movie got pushed... To Thanksgiving. So enjoy a special bonus episode that we recorded because we're going to give it to you now about Frank's connections to James Bond. Yeah, because we're not going to hold out on people. Like, they can push the movie back. We don't have to push our episode back. That's right. So here you go. Enjoy. And you're listening to Frankly Drinking. But tonight, it's shaken, but not stirred. That's right. <laughs> We're doing a celebratory episode around the release of the new Bond picture, No Time to Die. All things Sinatra, of course, but all things overlaid with a bunch of James Bond and bourbon. How great is that? Yeah. I mean, I'm you, excited. When you talk about uh, the most famous. Uh, Tough guys w- with blue eyes. Now we're talking about Daniel Craig. When you, when you talk about some tough guys in tuxedos, Frank and James Bond, you but, got it. But Bond, but Bond in the novels had blue eyes. Oh, okay. I, yeah, yeah. Um, did, what about uh, Connery? What about Connery? Brown eyes, right? Brown eyes. Yeah. That was casting. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of differences, obviously, between yeah. screen Bond. No. And, you know, and in the novels, I mean, the screen changed a lot of things about Bond uh, ongoing from the novels. So we'll talk about that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But hey, we're bringing them all together. Bring them we're all bringing together. the big hitters all together. Frank, James Bond, Bourbon, boom, all together right here. So good. So the, the theme song was from The World We Knew. Yes. Uh, I don't know the year on this record, but it's the most Bond-sounding track. Yes, it is, Larry. I've thought this for a number of years. The World We Knew, the title track from the 1967 LP of the same name, and um, it was uh, arranged by Ernie Freeman. It was written by Bert Camfort, who uh, also... Uh, composed Strangers in the Night. Oh, okay. So the same guy. That's cool. Um, and yes, the style and the sound of it. And when we get a little, we'll play a little more of it later and you'll hear some even more Bond-esque sounds. Sounds a little bit like John Barry, yeah. the famous uh, Bond composer. Of course. And um, interestingly, the um, consummate, Sinatra biographer James Kaplan uh, described this song as a theme to an imaginary mid-1960s movie. So I think um, Kaplan... He he didn't specify Bond? No, he did not. He did not. Wow. Um, 
And and by the way, Kaplan is this. He's not exactly a fan of this song, um, which I think you and I like, um, and and the public uh, liked this uh, this song because it spent five weeks uh, at the top of the Billboard Easy Listening charts. What? So this was um, this is a, this was a single off this record. Yes, it it was a single. That's great. Um, this album's really interesting because it's so brown, or it's is that gold? It's kind of gold with this illustration of Frank on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll put a picture up, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's very it's very of its time from this illustration. This this illustrator, I was reading up on him, uh, Bernie Fuchs. He wanted to be a, a trumpet player, uh, but he lost two fingers on his hand. What are you? You're kidding me? No, I'm not. He he, I don't know what year this was, but he he wanted to be a trumpet player, yeah. and and play jazz, and he was he lost two fingers in a work accident, and then somehow took up illustration, and ended up illustrating presidents and Frank, and became a sports artist. Uh, he's not okay. a painter; he's a okay. he's an illustrator. Yeah. So yeah, yeah Bernie, guys, it's kind of if you're listening, it's kind of a. It's a pencil drawing, wouldn't you say, Larry? Yeah, or... he worked in pencils. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and that's a that's a just a side story there. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's you know that reminds me. What didn't Doctor No have a few fingers missing? A couple fingers missing or something? Oh no, it's uh the man with the golden gun. No, it was it Doctor No. I think so. Yeah. Doctor No, there was definitely oh, right. a villain, and yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Doctor No who was missing a couple of fingers. Maybe Mr. Fuchs played Doctor No. No, no, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Well, we kid. We joke. There's lots of uh, there's lots of interesting uh, Bond and Frank connections. Mm, yes. Um, now, the the connections of of Bourbon and Bond aren't really, you know known or right assume you know we assume or we always think about vodka you know Martini. martinis with with bond right shaken not stirred well i hate to break it to the audience but in the original james bond novels the first you know yeah dozen novels or so really bond drank more whiskey Ooh. than vodka fleming was a big bourbon fan fleming was a big jack daniels fan and there are there's lots of research out there, but if you go through each book, you will see that he orders not only does he order whiskey, he orders bourbon. Ah. Now the designations here, it's just kind of a technicality. So when he's socially drinking, yeah, he orders a martini usually. Okay. When he's drinking by himself in hotel rooms or at the end of a mission or you know end of a day, he's drinking by himself and he's ordering a whole pint of bourbon for room service. Okay. Now, and also, you know, obviously Felix Leiter orders bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the movies. And so, uh, you know, basically he's ordering like old fashions. He's ordering as, as the novels go on, he starts ordering double old fashions and double bourbons. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, a couple of brands were mentioned by name in the books. Um, Walker's Deluxe, which is a, an old bourbon. Mm-hmm. I.W. Harper, which is still available. Right, right. Um, uh, Diageo product. Yeah. 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 Um, he orders a, a Jack Daniels Sour Mash 
bourbon <laughs> in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And, uh, you know, that's obviously a Tennessee whiskey. But um, in one of the Pierce Brosnan films, he's actually drinking uh, Jack Daniels with M. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. So, so so the again the movies didn't have as much bourbon. Uh, I think is it Spectre or is it um it might be Skyfall where him and him and Felix are drinking whiskey at the bar. Mm. And um actually it might be it might be Casino Royale. But anyway the point is that he he's ordering Macallan Scotch. He drinks a lot of Scotch in the movies. Mm-hmm. And then you know Felix orders bourbon, which is you know again keeping whiskey in the UK for that character and then bourbon for the U S character. Right. But, um, what's interesting is, uh, in the movies, you know, the only time we see him actually drink bourbon is, uh, with a julep in his hand in Goldfinger drinking with Goldfinger. And it turns out like in the novel, Goldfinger actually, uh, didn't drink. Okay. So not only did he not drink, he thought it was poison. Um, (laughs) I have the book right here in front of me. Yes. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're pulling out the paperback novelization, yes. or not the novelization, the novel, Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Shall I read this in a uh, in a German accent? <laughs> uh, yeah, by all means. Should I should I, should I go for uh, a, a Goldfinger accent? Uh, like Werner Herzog? Could you do that? Oh yeah, I can do Werner Herzog. Yeah, okay, yeah, here we go. Uh, <clears throat> from page ninety four, Goldfinger. Goldfinger showed a rare trace of emotion. It is a vile practice. As for drinking, I am something of a chemist, and I have yet to find a liquor that is free from traces of a number of poisons, some of them deadly, such as fusel oil, acetic acid, ethyl acetate, acetylethahide, and furfural. A quantity of those poisons taken neat would kill you. In the small amounts you find in a bottle of liquor, they produce ill effects, most of which are lightly written off as a hangover. <laughs> so that's, I think, establishing the fact wow. that, that uh, Goldfinger is kind of a, a stick in the mud. Uh, he's a weird character. Right. In the book. So Yes. Anyway, so that's the only time we see Bond drink bourbon in the movies uh, is other than the, the one scene with uh, Brosnan drinking Jack Daniels. He drinks a julep. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and what's funny about this is that, uh, Connery actually, uh, was selling Jim Beam, uh, for a big campaign around you only live twice. Oh, so there's Jim Beam ads with him and, you know, and is it the character James Bond or is it just Sean Connery? It's that's... Connery. Okay. But it's a, it's a very Bond. Right. Right. It, it, the photography looks like it was taken for, mm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, promoting the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he always drank it with, on the rocks for the most part. It, it, it says on, you know, on, on ice or in, in one novel, uh, he gets hooked on ordering it with uh, quote unquote branch water, right. which is basically spring water. Right. You know, but or limestone water from the source. So, uh, the one thing though, that he, and it's related to beam is that, uh, he more than any bourbon in the books mm-hmm. orders by name, old granddad, he's really? ordering old He's ordering like double, uh, old fashions with old granddad. He's ordering double old granddads. <laughs> so our bourbon tonight is wait for it. Wait for it. 100 proof. 
bonded old granddad because he orders it bottled in bond. In well, how how in the world else would James Bond order it but bottled but and bonded? Bond. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so great. So the Beam family owns this. Okay. The recipe has not changed to a Beam recipe. This supposedly has been the same recipe or close to it since 1899. Okay. Um, again, you know, so, up for grabs, but. So you're, what you're telling me is we have the chance to drink the basically the exact same bourbon that the James Bond in the books was drinking. Yes. And not only that, I brought some branch water. <laughs> yes. I have some limestone water that you can purchase limestone water on Amazon um, to mix with your with your bourbon. Just a splash to open it up. Here you go. I always thought, I, and, and maybe this is true, Larry, but you tell me. I always thought that uh, when people said bourbon and branch, they just meant bourbon with a splash of water. That's correct. But uh, the branch water, to be more specific, is mm. limestone water from from Kentucky. Okay. From the source, from the head, from the branch. So, All right. But you can buy limestone water from Kentucky, you know, online. It, honestly, if you just use, you know, Regular spring water. water, any sort of spring water that's from a source. Uh -huh. But yeah, so the old granddad, 100 proof, bottle and bond. Bottle and bond has to be stored lock and key for more than four years in one season and has to be over 100 proof. There's a couple other factors involved, but mm. not bad. Yeah. And easily found, usually. I mean, old granddad in general is everywhere, but... The bonded I've seen, um, I think it's changed from a from a orange uh, cap to a green cap. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And just as an aside, we have no reference about Frank enjoying Old Granddad, but I think Frank would definitely enjoy this orange packaging of this bottle because orange was Frank's favorite color. Yeah, and uh, this would this would definitely be something. Wow. He, I think he'd be digging this. Absolutely. No doubt. I'm digging no, it. I'm digging it too. It's really good. It's it's got some heat. Cause it's over, you know, it's a hundred proof, but right? it's good. A little less since we put that water in there, but tasty. Um I don't think we heard quite enough of the world we knew, Larry. Can we get to there's a part yeah. there's a part later in the song that's yeah. got some definite I mean, really definite James Bond uh echoes. If you could maybe let's 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 hear a little bit more. Here we go. Yeah, no problem. Over, I keep going over the world we knew. Days when you used to love me. say i mean is it Riccoli family yeah Riccoli family Riccoli family if you're listening yeah why not just cover that yeah for your next bond song i mean look i got nothing against the billy eilish song that came out it's in her vein yeah but i miss that that i mean skyfall's good 
uh, I miss that. I just miss those big berry numbers. Yeah, yeah. The big, the big ones, the loud ones, the ones that really, you know, grab you. And uh, that, that's the reason I always thought this song, "The World We Knew," Frank Sinatra. That could have. It, it's sort of like a lost James Bond song, and they could just do a. They could. They could just do a movie. They could use the title "The World We Knew." They could use Frank's vocal. If they don't like some of the orchestration, they could do new orchestrations. You should just, you know? you should just be the music arranger. But for I Bond. mean, come on. The problem, of course, these days is that you they want to sell tickets to guys like us, and they also want to sell tickets to teenagers and twenty somethings. Yeah. And having a song by someone like, is that how you say her name, Billie Eilish? Yeah. 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 The gal with the real colourful like, hair. Yeah. Um like H- how old is she? Twenty? Um she's 19? younger than she's she's young yeah, you know, she's she old enough to drink bourbon? She's younger than Duran Duran, who did a view to a kill. <laughs> well, those guys, I think they're older than us. Um, yeah. uh, what's what is your favorite Bond? Not uh, that there's anything wrong with that. What's your favorite Bond track? Song? Ooh, ooh, what I you mean, could say one. Oh, I would have to think about the theme songs, okay, but well, yeah, I would I would say this. I don't think. I mean, talk about a a classic, iconic, only a few notes needed, the John Barry original theme that he wrote oh, for, yeah. for, you know, Dr. No. Sure. That's just uh, perfection. I yeah. mean, it's amazing. Yeah. It's um, interesting on this track. What, what, what about you? What's your favorite? Oh, what's my favorite? Yeah. Oh, man. That's, it, I, I asked it the hardest question, didn't I? Now mm-hmm. it's back on me. Mm-hmm. Um. I would say, looking back, Thunderball is a great, Thunderball is a great James Bond song. I think the Shirley Bassey and all that. Yeah, Bassey. I mean, Goldfinger's great. I, I you know, the one there's there's a few that stick with me. Yeah, the ones that stay with me. Yeah, and and uh, Goldfinger is one. Um, I think that. Uh, I think the Spy Who Loved Me. Mm. is is fantastic mm-hmm. uh nobody does it better yeah carly simon yeah mm-hmm. great one um and i i really like the one we're about to play okay next good and it it, it for i i had a cassette tape <laughs> of bond yes themes, and me. that was that was like the second cassette that i ever owned i must have been 10 or 11 and i wore that thing out Yes, you and I both had that tape. If, as I recall, yeah. it was a white tape with blue printing on it. Yeah, and it had up to that point every James Bond song up until eighty six, eighty seven, somewhere right. around in there. Right. I think it had, if I'm not mistaken, I think it had Octopussy and and Never Say Never included on there. Th- that but was yeah. It's about uh, that time. We have all the time in the world. Yeah. And, oh yeah. yeah. Now that's yeah. a great. That yeah. was a great performance. Yeah. But Louis this, Armstrong. you know, what's cool about I think the sound of the world we knew is that there's a lot of guitar, like fuzzed out mm-hmm. rock guitar, mm-hmm. kind of coming in to play, and obviously like Lee Hazelwood produced uh, something stupid mm-hmm. on this record. On this record, yeah. Um, and and so there's definitely this new kind of sound on this album that I hadn't heard before on a Frank record. 
So that's kind of cool. Well, Nancy Sinatra um, figures into the the Bond story. Um, uh, uh, the story is that um, the Bond people called Sinatra, and uh, they wanted him to do uh, the song. He was for, their first choice, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not absolute. I'm not metaphysically okay. certain that he was yeah. the first choice, but I, I think he, I think he was. But they called him up about um, "You Only Live Twice," and and Frank, uh, Frank liked James Bond. He had, um, he had a lot of connections um, with James Bond as far as, um, you know the people that were associated with Bond and connections to him. And it was, it was a cool hip thing that was happening at that time. And, you know, Frank, Frank had his finger um, on the zeitgeist a lot of times. Sometimes his finger fell off the zeitgeist, but um, (laughs) a lot of times he did have his finger on it. And, um, they asked him to do You Only Live Twice, and, and he didn't want to do it, but he said, hey, you should get uh, my daughter, Nancy Sinatra. Yeah. And uh, Nancy was just coming off uh, the success, runaway success of These Boots Are Made for Walking. Right. So she was a big star, but a young star, and um, she had the whole mod, hip, 60s vibe um, you know, with the boots and the mini skirt and the blonde hair. She was also American, which appealed to uh, the producers who wanted Bond to be more transatlantic and appeal, you know, make sure there's big appeal in America. Yeah. And overseas, um, like in the UK, let them know, hey, Bond is global. Bond Bond knows no country boundaries. I mean, we're going to, this is a huge franchise and and America is part of it. And Nancy Sinatra represented a lot of the right things for them. And um, she also, she gave a great performance on this uh, on yeah. this song. So yeah. we're going to take a break and take a listen. I, I love the strings on this. I think the strings are amazing. We'll talk about it after the break. But here's uh, Nancy Sinatra, You Only Live Twice. So pay 
wonderful Nancy Sinatra with You Only Live Twice. That's a great theme. Those strings, I feel like those strings really define Bond's movies from here on out. Even like the arrangements in later films, there's so many things that really feel like that, you know, in the theme music. And and still that, that song's got that same kind of little fuzz guitar. It's buried in there, but there's a little theme in there when it switches from the strings to the to the kind of Asian mm-hmm. notes. There's a little, mm-hmm. you know, fuzz guitar. She was bringing, they were bringing everything into this thing. You know, the marketing, everything about You Only Live Twice is is larger than life. Yeah, and and that's, you know, obviously a movie that, uh, what was it, 67? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was before, before I was born, before I was watching uh, movies uh, and everything, but um, my, my mom introduced that movie to me. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. I remember watching it on VHS. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mom introduced that to me. We would watch, um, we watched a number of the James Bond movies on television, like on uh, TBS Superstation or yeah. on maybe on network TV so, with all the commercials and stuff. But we, we saw, we saw a number of those sixties James Bond movies, just my mom and me. And I think my dad might've been popping in and out, but, um, my mom was the one who was like, Luke, I think you'd like this, you know? And because they were edited for television, there was, I mean, those movies were pretty tame, but because they were even edited down a little bit for TV, you know, you, I was 10 or, you know, nine or what was, yeah. What was the first one you you remember seeing? Uh, Thunderball. Oh, really? I remember watching Thunderball, Goldfinger, um, and and you only live twice, um, among among the other ones, some other ones too. Yeah, what's so. the one? Um, uh, I'm blanking on the name. Oh yeah. my gosh, which uh, one? With Topol. Um, oh, um, uh, for your eyes only. Mm, for your eyes only was mm-hmm. uh, was the first one I saw. Did you see that in the theater? I think I saw it on Laserdisc at the mall. Really? Or was it video disc? <laughs> <laughs> either one it was either video disc or laser disc they had it set up at the mall and my mom and my sister would go shopping and i'd yeah. go down to the radio shack and i'd watch like jaws 2 and i'd watch i'd watch the you, bond movie are you watching these at the same time you're like multi multi-screening no, no, no there's multiple trips to the mall during that uh, era so okay. okay i'd always i'd always just peel off and go to the toy store to the bookstore to read comics and then you know I'd watch a movie. I'd, I'd sit yeah. there and just watch like, you know, the movie. And then like two weeks later, it would still be in the player <laughs> at the mall. And I'd go, we'd be back and I'd, I'd watch another part of the movie. So I didn't have TV. I didn't, I didn't actually have television. Right. Uh, growing up most of my life. So I had to watch TV at the mall. <laughs> there is something really funny about that, especially for young people. I mean, think about that. Yeah, that's imagine how, that. that's how Larry got his imagine visual, not having television, visual entertainment, no and TV in your pocket, having to watch it at the mall or you know rent a VHS tape. <laughs> uh, so did did wow. Frank did Frank ever? Um, I don't know the answer to this, but basically, did did did, did Frank ever? Um, was he ever approached to do? Uh, the play the role of of Bond or be in a Bond movie or oh um you know I don't think so uh but he definitely um 
he he definitely played in a number of spy pictures and uh, films, you know, thriller films. Uh, most most famously and most successfully, um, the Manchurian Candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, great movie. A, a great role, which not not exactly a spy movie, but uh, a thriller of international intrigue and. Yeah. You know, similar in some ways. If you haven't seen that movie, that's yes, great. The, that's it's a it's a great film, and um, he also did he also did a picture, which I think we might have a have a song from. Oh, um, wait the, the the next the song that you picked next is from the movie. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. The um, he did a picture called "The Naked Runner." And no, this was not a song about streaking. That's a t- <laughs> the streak. The That's streak, the name of the movie, The Naked the Runner. The Naked Runner. Uh, they were clearly going for an audience, like an audience draw with that title, right? I I don't know. I mean, rated PG, but The Naked Runner. I don't know. Okay, it's crazy. Um, th- no, this is not a song. Not a not a movie about the early Greek Olympics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Naked Runner with Frank Sinatra. And uh, Frank uh, played the lead role in this, and he was uh, he was very well compensated for it. Uh, they did they did filming in a couple of locations um, in in Europe and uh, London, um, and then Frank, as he sometimes did on pictures, he got tired of doing the picture. He was bored. Um, he liked the paycheck associated with pictures, but sometimes he didn't really want to push through. He didn't like to, to hurry the, up and wait. Oh no, he oh, hated okay. it. He absolutely hated the the process, and he was he was famous for um, giving his best performance on the first take. And if you didn't get the first take, then uh, trouble. And if you had to make him do two or three or four, and you had some perfectionist director, he would only do that in very special circumstances, like when he was making a great, when he knew he was making a good movie. Yeah. That sounds um, about right. I mean, I, w- I would not guess anything Yeah, more than that, that he would be like, yeah, we got it, kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And he, he liked to walk over directors that were not really, if they weren't strong and experienced and, and big time, he'd just run them over. I mean, he would, he bulldozed. Yeah, with that personality. Um, yes. So as when he was working on the Naked Runner, and you're talking about him as the star, they get toward the end of filming, and Frank goes to L.A. He just he asked for the weekend off. They said okay. He goes to L.A. Um, for a fundraiser, political fundraiser, and then he just sticks around in Los Angeles, and his his lawyer sends a message back to London. Frank is not coming back. You can shoot all the rest of the film in L.A., uh, do all the pickups, do everything else that you need to do on the soundstage in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. Wait, did he know that there was a possibility that things would work on a soundstage? Like all the exteriors were shot in London? Yeah, he had done he had done this before. On, oh, okay. I don't remember what movie it was, but there was some movie he shot mostly in Spain, and then he just bailed and said, "Nah, we can get the rest in L.A." And he went <laughs> back. He went home. So he did it in this case, and there was a big back and forth, and uh, they figured out how to finish it without filming Sinatra anymore. Sure. And 
Um, I don't think the picture uh, was that uh, was that good, but um, the Naked Runner or the one that was shot? No, the naked the Naked Runner. Oh, okay, I don't, yeah, I don't never think heard it of was. It. I don't think it was that great, but um, one a funny little Bond connection. One of his co-stars, James Fox, yeah. the uh, the great English actor, who um, some years later would play M in uh, Never ah. Say Never Again. The uh, ah. oh. sort of... Wow. Um, yeah, out there. Out there, yeah. The, the alternate Bond. The alternate Bond, exactly. The Connery. Wow. Connery comes back. And folks, for folks who don't know, let's yeah. just say, quick aside on this. Yes. In 1987, right? It was 87 or 86. Uh, 87, sure. I think. 80s. But, yeah. Never Say Never Again was released. It's a big deal. With Sean Connery. Yeah. And, of course, that's a play on him saying he would never play Bond again. Right. And at It the, was a remake of Thunderball. Thunderball, yes. And there were, there were things about the rights that allowed this separate company, other than the company that normally makes James Bond films... Yeah, that's right. ...to make a remake of Thunderball where they couldn't make any other film. So they did that... Uh, it was a uh, big it, cash grab, it was, basically, it was, basically, right? Yeah, it was a pretty, yeah. and it was pretty good. It was fun to see Connery back, and there were some interesting things about it. Uh, but the same year, A View to a Kill came out, so you had you had dueling Bonds in one year. Oh, this came between, out in the same year. Yeah. Oh, that was eighty four. Eighty four or eighty five. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, wow. let, getting on back to the Naked Runner. Oh yeah. Because as Frank would say. There ain't no place else to go. Let's back it up here. That sounds more like Dino. Uh, no, that, that's something Frank. That's something Frank would say. Uh, but anyway, you're right. It does sound like Dino. Yeah. Um, the the film featured a song called "You Are There." Okay. And um, it Shall was. We, do you want to play it? Yeah. Let's let's play that and see what "You Are There," orchestrated by Gordon Jenkins for the Naked Runner. Let's hear what it sounds like. soundtracky mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's very orchestral kind of soundtrack do we, do we, was this a theme song or was this used as a in a sequence do you know i think i larry i think it was uh i think it was the theme but i am not metaphysically certain on that but yeah so frank did that for uh his own spy film which he really didn't want to finish and <laughs> left and went back to la <laughs> declined to do the song for uh, a film that didn't star him and that he wouldn't have had to act in. Um, well, it's You Are There is a really good song. I, I, I listened to it today, and uh -huh. it, it, it definitely has these kind of 
Barry kind of Bond mm. refrains and, and notes. It, it builds up and you should definitely check it out. It's, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Um, there's even a, like a, a callback to Laughing Face. At one point I heard him say in a lyric something about the laughing face. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a Nancy with a laughing deep, face reference. Deep cut. Yeah. yeah, deep reference there. Wow. So, yeah, I, I would definitely check that out because um, it, it kind of surprised me how... I was listening to it and I was thinking how much it sounded like a Bond song. Mm. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's got it's got kind of those notes and those tones. Was was Frank um was Frank friends with uh Fleming? Did Fleming and him When did, when did Fle- Fleming died in the 60s though, right? Uh I'm I'm not sure when he passed, but yes, I'm I'm pretty sure it was in the 60s. Um Ian Fleming was someone who took a great interest in what was happening in the United States. He wanted to be, you know, he, he, he was very interested in sort of, you know, not just what's happening in, um, in, in the UK, but also in America. And he was able to, um, he used some of his wartime experiences as inspiration, you know, for James Bond and, and, uh, some of the writing of that. But, uh, he went to uh, he went to the U.S. He went to New York in the '40s, and he actually took other people. He came in, he landed, he somehow knew that Sinatra was playing um, at uh, one of the one of the theaters in New York. He oh, was cool. having a stand at one of the theaters. Oh, he went to the show. Yeah, yeah. Fleming took other people that he said he'd never heard of Frank before, but he heard big things, wow. heard great things, and he said, "Let's go." We need to go see this guy. Um, he's gonna he's gonna be a big star. Let's go check him out. And so they did, and and that led to, you know, um, uh, y- y- there are some connections between Frank and James Bond in the books, and one of them is that the first time Felix Leiter, uh, which is Bond's CIA friend and counterpart, yeah. Uh, who's in a, a lot of the films and books? Um, he described him as having uh, wearing his uh, suit coat um, uh, kind of loose on his shoulders, wow. like a young Frank Sinatra. Okay. And he didn't have to say young, right? Because Frank was young, and uh, and just sort of that whole early days skinny Frank. Um, he was, you know, yeah. um, the big suit. And he was, yeah, he was just so skinny. Um, uh, it was always talked about and, and he would joke about it and everything. Yeah. So, and then um, Fleming also, he liked wordplay, you know, in, in the names of his books, like, you know, instead of live and let live, live and let die. And he also um, played off the, the name of uh, what became the Frank Sinatra film. Uh, the man with the golden arm and turn that into for his purposes the man with the golden oh, gun really yeah so he, he just pinched that from yeah. from bond okay mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. there you go i didn't know that yeah borrowed borrowed that well mm-hmm. he also liked his jack daniels like we mentioned earlier yes uh he had an affinity for it so tonight i have uh for our episode i have selected um the equivalent of old granddad bottled in bond I have selected an international uh, selection. 
because you can only get this in the mm. duty free. Mm. Uh, this is a bottled and bond. I believe it's the only bottled and bond product that's offered from from Jack. Uh, they make oh. a they make a bottled and bond that's sold in duty free now. This is now called uh, Silver Select. Uh, this is well, this this bottle is called Silver Select, mm-hmm. but they now call it um, Silver uh, S- Silver One Hundred or something like that. Oh, they changed okay. the name of it. Okay, but this is a one hundred proof uh, Jack Daniels from Duty Free. Oh yeah, I don't know. If... Yeah. So you're saying this is this is only for those sort of international traveling jet setters? Yes. Like James Bond 007. That's right. Okay. So, oh man, I can smell it now. This is a really rich pour, and um, it's it's a really delicious Jack Daniels. Um, it's, uh, again, only available in duty-free, but mm. um, if you have someone who's traveling to Mexico or to the Caribbean or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Canada, you can find it in the duty-free. Mm. And, you know, 100-proof Jack... Doesn't come along that easily. And the, the bottle and bond products, the Sinatra Century, mm-hmm, the Sinatra mm-hmm. Select, um, I believe the, um, I think that the 150th anniversary bottles were 100 proof too. Oh man. Yeah, this is. It's really good. This is tasty. It's a little bit smoother than the old granddad, in my opinion. But speaking of smooth, you know. Uh, mm. Roger Moore was a smooth gentleman. Yes. He was a smooth bond. Uh, he was he was good friends with Frank. Hung out his Palm Springs compound. And they shared a deep affinity for, for Jack Daniels. In fact, uh, there were cases of Jack delivered to the set of Octopussy, I believe. Uh, the man was introduced, basically, to Jack by Frank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> yes. Yes. And um, they spent holidays together. Um, I understand that the uh, Kaplan in his one of his biography, uh, biography volumes about Sinatra described how Frank and Mia um, originally uh, met Roger Moore. And Frank talked to him about the saint the television program oh, yeah, yeah. that uh, he had not gotten Bond yet, but uh, Frank talked to him about how much he and Mia liked to watch The Saint on television and really, really buttered him up. Like really, he was a Frank was a fan of uh, of Roger Moore, and Roger Moore was a fan of Frank Sinatra. And then uh, some years go by, Roger Moore gets the call, becomes James Bond. Who sends him, you know, a congratulate, you know, who makes a congratulatory phone call to him? None other than Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Um, well, then a couple of years later, he actually got a phone call to do a Bond yeah, song. Yes. For another, Moonraker, right? Another, another James Bond song opportunity came along for Moonraker, starring Roger Moore, once again, uh, Frank's buddy. And and Frank just Frank just flat didn't want to do it. I mean, there's some stories about it. There's some, you know, there's there's some there's there's rumors. There's stories. It's not that clear. But one thing is clear: Frank didn't want to do the song to Moonraker, which is a real shame because I I I love this song. 
even though it's you know it's it's the last one that Shirley Bassey did. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard this kind of sound in a Bond theme since she did this, and then Adele did Skyfall. Mm-hmm. But when I hear this song, I think of Frank. Uh, definitely hear I hear Frank's lyrics or voice, and and Paul Williams wrote this. Mm. So wow, yeah. So okay. quite a task. He had to write a Bond theme <laughs> and write for Frank Sinatra. Yeah. So. You know, it's a shame, you know, it's a kind of what could have been thing. I'm sure they changed the lyrics and the arrangement for her. So we're going to take a listen to this as our outro music and uh, send you off with this. Go check it out if you like what you hear. And definitely you can hear Frank in this. So enjoy. Here's John Barry and Shirley Bassey doing the theme to Moonraker. Uh, hey. Cheers. This is great show. Cheers. I'm Larry. I'm Luke. And you've been listening to Frankly Drinking. Just like the moon